What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the host of the People's Party. I know you've been enjoying it so far. We thank you for your love and support. We got more People's Party coming up in the future. We got Godfrey. We got MERS. We got Razzcast. We got so much going on right now with the People's Party. You don't want to miss it. Talib Kweli, Jasmine Lee, the People's Party, Up Rocks. This is how we do it. See y'all in a second. Well, we don't start it. Look at what we don't start it. Just the people party. Peace of love, party people. It's Talib Kweli. is your host of the People's Party. Welcome back to another fantastic edition of the People's Party. Of course, and as always, I have my lovely and talented co-host, Jasmine Lee. Give it up to Jasmine Lee. Hello, everybody. Hey, Jasmine. How you feeling? I'm feeling real creepish today. Got my TLC fit on. I know. You look like you um about to just do the dance. You yes, look very comfortable. I've been practicing. I like that outfit. Thank you. Um, Today should be a special, special, special episode of People's Party. And today's guest is why I do this. Today, Today's guest is, you know, we have a lot of guests that people know and people are excited to meet, but... Today's guest represents the people's part of the people's party. Mm-hmm. And not to say that she don't turn up and get lit, because I know she do. <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying? She has represented the people so well. Um, she's a friend of mine. She is uh, very important to the culture. She's absolutely one of the most important activist voices of our generation. Um, she's a founder of Dignity and Power Now. She is one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, which is one of the most important political social movements of our time. A beautiful, special person, People's Party. Give it up for Patrice Colors. How you doing? I'm great. Happy to be here. Good to be in my own hometown, Los Angeles. That's right. You are from Los Angeles. Born and raised. I've tried to leave many times. But... Okay. Now, <laughs> growing up in Los Angeles in the 80s and the 90s, mm-hmm had to have a huge impact on your activist work. Absolutely. Tell us about it. Well, you know, L.A. is massive. So L.A. County is, there's L.A. City and L.A. County. L.A. County is 10 million people. L.A. City is about a million people. I grew up in L.A. City, and I really did grow up in the height of the war on drugs, the war on gangs, mm-hmm. you know, over-policing, the the the, the bat, LAPD battery ram, mm-hmm. and... Um, and as a child, you kind of, even though something doesn't feel right, it becomes normal. Mm. And so that was sort of my childhood, witnessing police, you know, stop and frisk my siblings, mostly the boys in my neighborhood. By the time I was 12 years old, pretty much all of us were being pushed out by mm. gentrification and law enforcement. Um, but every boy in my neighborhood had either been um, arrested, um, uh, killed, or in prison. Um, I think the first time I remember a young boy who was 12 years old got life in prison. Mm. And that was just every day. And then I I got shipped off to white schools because I got labeled as gifted. And when I ended up Mm -hmm. in those schools, um, there were no police. Right. You sort of stark contrast. Yeah. And I was like, I remember the first time I had ever, I had ever sort of had this visceral like reaction to no police. I went to my homegirl's house. She was like, I want you to come to my house Mm -hmm. in Sherman Oaks. And she went, she was like, I want you to meet my brother. She opens the door and her her brother has like every single drug mm-hmm. you can ever imagine on the mm-hmm. table. Yeah, I was called gifted and went to white schools too. So <laughs> I know this life that she's talking about. I yeah. kept my gifted with the black school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't know no better though. Right. You know, they kind of ship you off. But this this dude had like every drug under the sun. And wow. I was like, where are the police? Because mm-hmm. my folks have like a nickel bag and they're being like, totally roughed up, beat up, mm-hmm. and this dude is, like, selling heavy drugs, and mm-hmm. nobody's here. Now, your brother, you were talking earlier about um, seeing young uh, men of color and uh, being brutalized and abused, mm-hmm. um, not just in the streets, but in the prisons. Yeah. Um, is it accurate to say that your younger brother? My older brother. Your older brother mm-hmm. was uh, brutalized in prison. He was, yeah. Um, this had to also have an effect on your activism. Oh, it it changed my worldview mm-hmm. because while, you know, especially when you're black and you're poor, you grow up really fearing the police mm-hmm. and you grow up being told, you know, I remember my mom being like, the police are behind us. Don't look back. Right. right no right, attention. Right. 
You know, if your tags aren't on, taking all the side streets. Tags, that's like a horror movie for black people. <laughs> Listen, exactly. I'm never driving appropriately. <laughs> and I always, like, every time I, a police, even if I'm not in the driver's seat, mm -hmm. my heart starts pounding. Absolutely. I'm like, oh my God, I'm it's gonna called go to jail. PTSD. It's like when you see that movie, Get Out, the Jordan Peele movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. To me, that's a horror movie, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But the monster is the cop. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because. Yes. They're going through this whole situation where this white man is trying to steal their souls, <laughs> right? But the, when I went to the movie theater, the part where the people gasped yeah. the most is when he turned around and he saw and the, see the, police. the whites. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the theater was like, no! oh! right. <laughs> Jordan said he had a he was going to do that, sort of kill him mm -hmm. and then realize like he was going to switch it up. Mm -hmm. But it's true because the minute that came out, I was like, I'm done. I need to walk out of the theater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and That's the scariest part. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're back to what you but, said. Um, so, you know, my brother was 19 when mm -hmm. he was incarcerated in L.A. County jails. He mm -hmm. had been in and out of juvie and his sort of incarceration as an adult started inside these jails here in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. And he was also diagnosed in the, mm -hmm. in the jails. We have the largest mental health population inside LA County jails, mm -hmm. the largest mental health provider. Mm -hmm. So he was 19 years old, he gets diagnosed and he gets brutally beaten by the sheriffs. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, someone's gonna, someone's gonna fight for my family. Mm -hmm. You know, this is Obviously wrong. Obviously this is wrong, right. Exactly, but it was literally the opposite. Mm -hmm. Not only did they not fight for my family, they, they hid my brother for almost 60 days. Mm -hmm. wow. So we couldn't find him for 60 days. We didn't know if he was alive, we didn't know really what had happened. And when we finally, my mother, when she finally saw him, he was em emaciated. Mm -hmm. He was mm -hmm. totally drugged up on psychotropic drugs. Mm -hmm. And she came home and she didn't say much, but you know, you just know when your mom's not okay. Right, that's the and worst feeling too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And she, and that was that moment for me where I was like, oh, they're not, they're not trying to mm -hmm. save us. Like yeah. mm -hmm. we are actually targets. And that, that switched everything for mm -hmm. me. Um, you at some point became executive director for the coalition to end sheriff's violence mm -hmm. in jails, which is a very specific, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a very specific social justice yeah. thing. Um, obviously, your brother had something to do with that. Of course, yeah. I mean, that was pre-BLM. Mm -hmm. So I was taking on the, the police before Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. and that was local police, and it was mm -hmm. it was tricky because the sheriff's department, if people don't know, they're, they're the, it's the wild, wild west. Right. We talk a lot about LAPD, but the sheriff's department is the department that, at a Christmas party, they pulled out guns on each other. Mm. It's, a, it's the same sheriff's department that has uh, neo-Nazi gangs inside. Mm -hmm. These are these are not. This is not hyperbolic anymore. Mm -hmm. This is facts. And mm. so I took on the sheriff's department with a bunch of survivors of state violence because I had read the American Civil Liberties Union 1080-page report, mm -hmm. and the report was basically my brother's story, and it was 70 sworn statements from both prisoners, mm -hmm. but also from a jail chaplain, mm -hmm. a nurse. And someone who was visiting the jails, like a sibling visiting his mm -hmm. brother, uh, that ended up getting beat up by the sheriffs. Mm -hmm. And so there was- The sibling visiting the brother, not yes. the one actually incarcerated. No, the sibling visiting the brother got beat up by the sheriffs. So this became, um, I read this report and I was like, I, I wanna do something more than just a legal suit. I was mm -hmm. glad the ACLU was suing. And I got a bunch of us together and we, we've, done a, a lot of things. Number one, we got civilian oversight of the sheriff's department. They mm. never had any independent oversight. And then just most recently, we stopped two uh, jails from being built here in Los oh, Angeles. Let's give it up for that. Congratulations. <laughs> um, when I read about you, and I do read about you often, <laughs> um, you're identified as a queer activist. Yeah. For people who don't uh, understand sort of the evolution of how the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. identifies. Yeah. Can you break down what queer is? Yes. Okay. Um, so I started, I came out at 15 years old mm -hmm. in high school um, and was lucky enough to have a peer group that was also coming out and learning about themselves. And then have I had a real support system of mentors mm -hmm. who, who helped shape my queer identity. And very early on, I was reading folks like Audre Lorde, mm -hmm bell hooks, um, really learning about my identity through these iconic black women. Mm -hmm. And that shaped me. And I think, you know, in, in, the, in the LGBTQ movement, it's always the movement that's left out of the larger conversation around civil rights movements. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and But it's the movement that has really charged so much forward, whether right. around sexual orientation or gender expression. You know, Stonewall, it's his 50th anniversary. Mm -hmm. anniversary mm -hmm. And with Stonewall, you know, the first... Uh, riot with queer and trans people happened there and it was 
mostly trans women of color. Mm -hmm. And so this community is a community that's been near and dear to my heart. And when we started Black Lives Matter, Alicia Opal and I, we were really clear that we wanted to have a movement that was at the intersections. Right. That black civil rights are queer rights and queer rights are civil rights. Could you clarify uh, the difference between queer and like, you know, just gay or lesbian? Yes, because of I yeah. Yeah, I mean I think with queer it's actually a politic. So mm -hmm. You can actually be straight and queer. Mm -hmm. um, it's about how you see the world. When uh, lesbian and gay is very specific, you know, it's when you're a lesbian, you're in love with women. When you're gay, mm -hmm. you're in love with men. Um, and But queer is actually a broader term. Some say it's an encompassing term um, of the entire, you know, LGBTQI squared. Mm -hmm. There's lots <laughs> always being. <Right. laughs> I think every year there's like a new, a new thing. Letter. <laughs> like, but queer, queerness is, is, is less about, it, it's not just about sexual orientation. It's about a worldview. Now, you were, you said you came out of 15. Yeah. Uh, you had family issues at that time, though. Yes, my you, mother, my family's Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's oh. Witness. Yeah, so you were put out the house. I was pushed out the house. Pushed mm. out the house. My mother likes me to correct that. Okay. <laughs> my mom likes to say she didn't kick right. me out either. But oh, she my did. mom always says. So I you didn't. dealt with these same issues. Oh, before. I wasn't kicked out because I was gay. I was kicked out because I was just, you know, <laughs> wilding out. <laughs> Doing the most. I love it. I was, I was, I was slightly, almost maybe, to the point of doing the most, but I was <laughs> slightly, almost maybe. I was a good kid. I graduated with honors. Come on. Boom, boom. Now my mom pushed me out, and you know, I remember the last conversation before I left the house, which was, um, "You can't live in my house if this is how you're going to be." Mm. For her, she's like, "I didn't kick you out." She let you make a choice. Yeah, it was a choice. And I was like, "I don't. This is not a choice for me." Mm. So you're a teacher. Yeah. I didn't mention. Did I mention that in the intro. No. I didn't mention teacher. She's a teacher. <laughs> professor. Excuse me. My, both my parents are professors. Oh, my, wow. my brother's a professor. Amazing. So I have an affinity for teachers yes. and professors. And um, You teach social justice. I do. Which can be tricky in today's <laughs> college environment. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. There are people who say that today's college, many of today's college campuses are too PC. Yeah. And that social justice, there are people who, and this is not something that I uh, agree with, but there are people who, I think there are uh, nuanced points that could be made yeah. that some people utilize social justice or weaponize it mm -hmm. um, to get have control over other people. Mm. Is this a real concern? I think, you know, I think what we're seeing on college campuses in particular is a, a, we have to remember a lot of the young people who are on college campuses are literally the, they grew up in these movements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, when I go speak to students, they're like, I was, 12 when Black Lives Matter started and I'm like oh mm. my you you are raised in this moment right and so their viewpoint is is really strong and they I think they're trying to um individuate and trying to figure out what their relationship is to movements right I mean some that argument around like it's weaponized on campus really is comes from a conservative argument I believe I agree I went to HBCU uh shout out to Florida A&M University <laughs> and um I love like how we were able to speak out on things that were going mm -hmm. on. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dream Defenders. Of course. Okay, mm -hmm. so Philip Agnew my, yes, from that's my boy. Okay, so he started that, and that was like right before the um, yes. BLM came or whatever, yeah. and that derived from FAMU's campus. Yes. And I was just like so blessed that we were able to be able to fight the fight and yes. not be torn down or like be censored or exactly. PC'd or mm -hmm. anything like that. Exactly. Um, shout out to FAMU, by the way. That's where Dead Prez, Stick and M met. Oh, um, wow. And Dream Defenders came out of FAMU. And yeah. in 2013, um, uh, around the time of Trayvon, when Trayvon mm -hmm. Martin was, was killed, um, I was dropping an album called The Prisoner of Conscience. Mm -hmm. And because the album was, it was, but it was, it was sort of a play on words because me, as a conscious MC, sometimes I feel like people try to put me in, yes. the, in a box or a yes. trap. Um, but at the same time, as I'm putting out an, an album for sale on iTunes mm -hmm. or with a barcode mm -hmm. called Prisoner Conscious, I'm known as a conscious MC, but I'm like, I can't put out an album called Prisoner Conscious and not really be connecting with actual prisoners yes. of conscious. Mm -hmm. yes. So I got with uh, Monifa Bendeli mm -hmm. and Rosa Clemente, yes. and these are my friends yes. who are activists who I've been, since I've been in, you know, particularly Malcolm X grassroots movement yeah. people, since I've been doing hip hop for a living, they have made it their business. Yes to come and politically educate, further politically educate yes. artists like myself. And back in the days, it was me, David Banner, Common, yep. The Roots, J. Ruta Damager, Yasin Bey, people like that. Um, 
I went to see Mumia that year. Hmm. I went to see Harry Belafonte that year. Yeah. And when I went to see Harry Belafonte, I asked him, I said, how can I um, get more involved in, you know, sort of, sort of these movements? Yeah. How can I be more like you, yeah. Mr. B, <laughs> you know? And he's like, go to Florida <laughs> and go meet the Dream Defenders. Yeah. Yes. And this is what he told me. That's amazing. So I took my son, Amani, <laughs> and we went down and Phil picked us up from the airport. That's amazing. And I stayed in the, um, in the Capitol building in, uh, was it? Yes. In Tallahassee. In yeah. Tallahassee. I stayed overnight. Yes. I met people that ended up being like sort of my teachers in this, yeah. right? So when I, a year later, when Michael Brown was killed in yeah. Ferguson, mm-hmm. Phil Agnew was one of the first people I reached out yeah. to. And um, J. Cole, actually, J. Cole went to Ferguson. Yes, he did. And he called me before he went. He yeah. was like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Right? He was like, I just want to show face. I want to show that yeah. I'm, I'm with the Present. people. Yeah. And when J. Cole called me. Right. And I was at home tweeting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And J. Cole called me talking about I'm going to Ferguson. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I need to do something too. What the yeah. fuck? I'm what the fuck? I'm Tyler Kwali. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so I went. And when I went and I got there, and f- the first person I linked up was Phil Agnew. And he plugged me in with Tori Russell and mm-hmm. Tef Poe. And I ran into you. Yep. And I saw you. And that's when I knew I was in the right place. <laughs> um how did you meet and link up with Opal and Alicia and start Black Lives Matter? You know, Alicia and I have known each other now for almost 15 years. We actually wow. met on a dance floor. Both of our organizations were having like a meeting at the mines to talk about, at that time, Bush was in office, mm-hmm. the, uh, Bush Jr. And so we were trying to talk about what we were going to do about climate change mm-hmm. around black folks. And she had just started her organization. We were in Rhode Island and her org told her, you know, her like hazing basically it was mm-hmm. like she needs to like dance her ass off oh. <laughs> and, like it needs to be the first one up i told the you they turn to up lit. that's what i'm saying like she brought the people part now we have to yeah. party be part. able to do both you exactly. really do Moderation. and so we we danced all night together and became like siblings that mm-hmm. night um opal i literally didn't meet until we started black lives matter together mm-hmm. okay. we met online online we met online right. and then we met for the first time in ferguson okay mm-hmm. so, so it was like it was. It started as just a hashtag, it right? It did. It started as just a phrase. Alicia right. said it. On Facebook or on something. On Facebook. Mm-hmm. Then I put a hashtag on it. Mm-hmm. And then r- really quickly, internally, just in, you know, just in our sort of circle. circle, folks were like, oh, Black Lives Matter. It makes so much sense. Exactly. On a visceral level, exactly. on a movement work level. And we needed to hear mm-hmm. something like that. Especially in those moments. That connected yep. us together. Exactly. Right. That well, everybody we're seeing... could yell out. It was simple. Right. Yes. Yes. And obviously, if you're black, you know that police brutality and, and has gone on undocumented for years. Yep. And you know just from being in the communities. But now we're seeing the first generation of people who have cell phones yep. and mm-hmm. camera phones exactly. with, with, that they can capture everything. So now the things that we've been saying amongst mm-hmm. ourselves and, and to the world, mm-hmm. excuse me, that the world has been looking at us and, and saying, you're lying. That's right. We were able to show it. And so at that time frame, the idea that our lives mattered, mm-hmm. it, it, it triggered a lot of people. Yeah. But a lot of people represent, a lot of people bought into it quickly. Very quickly. When you created that hashtag, did you understand how, how many people it would speak to? On July, I, we created the hashtag on July 13th. On July 15th, I wrote, hey, everybody, Alicia and I are starting this thing called Black Lives Matter. I hope it reaches more people than I can ever imagine. And it did. So it was a hope. It was a hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You guys keep speaking about Ferguson, and that's Mike Brown was actually the reason why I got arrested because I was uh, protesting out here. And I was kind of the same thing like Talib. I was seeing Philip Agnew out doing all this stuff, and I was just literally complaining about bullshit. And I was like, let me get up and get out and get arrested with everyone else. And that's what I did. But when we were protesting, like the police were attacking us, they were like breaking our phones. And like, what kind of things have you went through when you're like starting the movement? And have all tell us a little bit about where you find your strength to keep going, because we know it's not easy. Yeah, I think, you know, I I, lear- I knew a lot about movements before BLM. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know that I was gonna help start the next iteration of mm-hmm. one of the most powerful movements. Like, I studied the Panther Party, I mm-hmm. studied the Chicano movement, you know, I studied the Korean independence movement. And what, what you know from all those movements is that people power will save lives, mm-hmm. will change the world, but then there will be a great repression that happens. Mm-hmm whether it's police or the state. 
that piece, I didn't fully understand the repression piece because I had never experienced it. Mm -hmm. And so when the police raided our, I got, my house got raided twice when we first started Black Lives Matter by LAPD. You know, they were tracking everything. Mm -hmm. Obviously white supremacists were coming after us. Mm -hmm. I, I think part of what I started to realize is we need to be, we need to be closer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, our movement needs to be closer and stronger. And they only behave that way when they know that you're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, and so we started to come together as, as a team, you know, folks in our movement. Um, and just you naming all the names like Taff and Tori, it's just like bring a lot of, you know, warm feelings because mm -hmm. we, and in some ways, we're yeah, I sort feel of like it's my family. Exactly. Yeah. We we are family. We've seen things that nobody else has seen. Yeah. Tef and I got arrested together during Ferguson October, at a Walmart action, and you know shared a, shared a jail cell. And so mm -hmm. there's just so many moments where I really sit back and I'm like, we we we've put our bodies on the line yeah. for this. Now speaking of getting arrested. You know, that was a, that's a tactic and a strategy, right? Yeah. Dr. King and them, you know, they were like getting arrested and then using the TV for sound bites. Yes. Ferguson, feel like Cornell West came down there to get arrested. Yes, he did. You know, and that was part of the, <laughs> the, the tactic, yes. right? Yes. Um, after meeting Tef and Tori, I felt like I wasn't doing enough. Mm. And that's why I started the Action Support Committee. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I asked them what people on the ground needed. Yeah. And they said, we need money. They said, there's money coming in from charitable organizations yes. that's not reaching people on the ground. Absolutely. So I started this fund and then some conservative blog. My fund, my, my goal was $10,000. Mm -hmm. Some conservative blog latched onto it to criticize me. Yeah. And because they did that, it, it went up. <laughs> and so now it's like $100,000 went into this account. Yeah. So now yeah. I'm, I'm terrified. Right. <laughs> what right? do I do with this? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to walk left me out here. You know what I'm saying? Uh -uh. Mm. No, no, uh -uh. no. Y'all not going to do me like that. <laughs> so I'm like, I yo. Remember. Like, yeah, so in my mind, I'm like, okay. I'm not prepared for this level yes. of activist uh -huh. work, right? I'm not, I'm not a bank. I'm right. not, I, I don't want to be responsible for this, for this right. money. So I called Tef and I called Phil Agnew. Yes. And Tef put me in touch with some Ferguson people. Phil Agnew was from Dream Defenders was actually like, you know, you should reach out to Patrice. Mm -hmm. And we, I reached out to Patrice and Rosa and mm -hmm. some other people. And we formed a coalition. At first, it was larger. Yes. If you was. remember, there yes, was like of was like 15 people that right. got whittled down or like five people. Yes. But it was people that, and Patrice was one of these people, mm -hmm. that I spoke to to try to get advice for how to, yeah. to make sure that everything was Spent above board and yeah. I was going to the right place. Mm -hmm. And you know what? There were mistakes made mm -hmm. in that process. Mm -hmm. I learned from doing that why people don't do that work yeah. because it's hard work exactly. and because and because people hold you accountable Absolutely. for shit and people want to put things on your head and not everybody is built for that i felt like i was uniquely built for yeah. that yeah um you did an amazing job uh, thank you i you know oh, it's all it praise due to the most yeah high. you did an amazing job. But, job you know i just say that to say with black lives matter in ferguson mm -hmm. it it became a point of contention yeah and there were a lot of people Friends of mine, mm -hmm. friends of Tef, mm -hmm. who started being very critical of Black Lives Matter yeah. in that community. Um, one of the main criticisms that came out of that mm -hmm. was that Black Lives Matter, which started as an organization to help fight a problem that was disproportionately affecting young black males. Yeah. Uh, now when you go to the website, we're talking about all types of other things. In right. particular, we're talking about queer issues. Mm -hmm. And people said that and this is a criticism that I do not agree with, right. but people said that Black Lives Matter fooled us and are using what's happening to young black men mm -hmm. to push the homosexual agenda. Yes. <laughs> what do you have to say to people who say that? Well, that's bullshit. Obviously. Mm -hmm. Because, mm -hmm. you know, and I always talk to folks, I don't talk to all the folks who say this, because some folks are just saying it like, and just ignorant, and mm -hmm. like, they don't mean malice, right? Mm -hmm. um, I remember being in an Uber uber and this brother i was with my partner and this brother was like talking and then i think black lives matter came on the radio because you know we were on the radio for a long time yeah it was not trump on the radio right. and he was like oh black lives matter and he said you know the gay agenda and i didn't say shit to him because i was on my way to the airport and i don't i don't know who he is but i listened to this and i was like oh he really believes this mm -hmm. like he really believes that you know black the the black women who started blm are First of all, I don't know what a gay agenda is, mm -hmm. so there's that, but are like tricking or fooling people. Mm -hmm. And um, my response has been, we have always, we, for the majority of our work has been showing up for black men. Mm -hmm. 
Like if you think about what black who Black Lives Matter has elevated mm-hmm. and the stories we've elevated, right? The and it's Trayvon Martin and it's Michael Brown exactly. that brought this movement to the forefront. Exactly, and that's been sort of the forward facing. Mm-hmm. What we've tried to do, and I think we've done a good job at, is remind people that patriarchy and homophobia exist in black communities, mm-hmm. right? And that we actually have to tackle it if we're talking about true freedom. What do you have to say to people who say that homosexuality is something that is not black and not African, is something that derived out of Europe and is an agenda to weaken our communities? I always say that that is actually like white supremacist framework, Mm -hmm. that Christianity, Mm -hmm. um, white Christianity, because we have to remember that Christianity isn't just, didn't just start in Europe, Mm -hmm. but white Christianity really framed queerness and 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 uh, gender variance mm-hmm. as something that was evil mm-hmm. that really came from that's th- those are their talking points mm-hmm. and we're unfortunately using them. I honestly had no idea that people were saying that Black Lives Matter was used oh, to uh, push it's the gay agenda, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's because my friends are just so forward that they don't think like that. But it's just like that is a part of civil rights or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's not. I I have a problem when people's try to say it's the same thing because yes you can walk out the door and people don't know I'm a lick of vagina but right. they do know I'm a black woman right. you know what I mean like, <laughs> you can't hide that so <laughs> I'm sorry no but, but that's uh, exactly right but yeah. no seriously so it is two different things but it's like you can't the same thing we just talked about you cannot be for equal rights if you're not for all equal rights absolutely yeah my issue with it is just the erasure of, it's like the idea that somehow if someone is a gay person that they don't experience the same Racism, mm-hmm. and I'll be honest with you: is you know, as someone, I'm someone who's raised in a patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. I'm someone who's raised to be a sexist. Mm-hmm. I'm raised to be a homophobe. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I ever had to deal with my homophobia in real time was um, in college. I'm going to New York University. And I'm working at Shakespeare Company Books yeah. in the heart of Greenwich Village. Yep. And um, gay people are coming in the store. Gay men are coming in the store all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was working the the coat check part, right. and gay men are flirting with me right. in the <laughs> store. And it fucked me up. Yep. It made me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I had to examine that it, early in my career. Like, well, why do I feel mm-hmm. so uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. What is it about me mm-hmm. that makes me feel so insecure because this guy happened to flirt with, yeah. flirt with me? And I had to deal with that. Um, growing up later, doing movement work, especially in Ferguson, in, in, in Tallahassee with the Dream Defenders, yes. and then Ferguson, what I noticed, I've been doing movement activism for, you know, work for a long time and aligning myself with people for a long time, movement people for a long time. I never paid attention to the homophobia in the movement because I never had to. Because yes. I'm not a gay person, so it yes. had no effect on me. Yes. Um, you know, going to these places in Ferguson and Tallahassee, queer women, gay women, black women, yeah. I found were at the forefront of these movements. Absolutely. That's not a scientific thing I'm saying. I'm just telling <laughs> you my anecdotal you experience. Yeah. That's who I saw on the front lines. Yeah. And it wasn't like, the, what the, I was, I'm a straight black male, so I was there. Yeah. I saw Muslim uh, people, uh, excuse me, Jewish people, yeah. Christians, yeah. you know, people from all walks of life, yeah. um, Latino people, just everyone. But the people I saw at the forefront of it um, were queer women because mm-hmm. you have to fight two fights and it's like if you're already used to fighting it's not going to be it's it's going to be that much more of a oomph to, mm-hmm. to get in and fight Absolutely. over everything because you're used to it you're stronger because yeah. you have to fight every day yeah. and yeah. especially in places like Tallahassee it's like the gay scene is totally underground mm-hmm. it's not just like oh let me just go be gay in Tallahassee yeah. it's like it's a whole mm-hmm. another life that you have to be like introduced into mm-hmm. where you can be yourself and be comfortable you can't just walk around be like that mm-hmm. yeah I tell homophobes all the time when you know I'm on social media a lot and they be like well it's the black uh, it's the gay agenda with Black Lives Matter I'm like when I was in a place like Ferguson I saw Black Lives Matter I saw LGBTQ people mm-hmm. I didn't see you, mm-hmm. you know like you weren't there like um, can you walk us through, if this is important for me, the Black Lives Matter guiding principles? Because yeah. I feel like if people, people who criticize Black Lives Matter are people who've never been to the website. Absolutely. People who don't understand what the guiding principles are. Yeah, yeah. I love that you're asking. No one asks about the guiding principles. Um, so we, you know, we really took the guiding principles from, inspired by the Panther 10-point program. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to, we created those guiding principles because uh, Darnell Moore, who's a black gay man, and I 
we actually organized a trip to Ferguson. Mm -hmm. We brought over 600 black folks on buses from across the country to Ferguson during um, about 10 days after Mike Brown's murder. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to grapple with these questions, like how do, we're about to bring a bunch of people together that don't know each other. We put it online, you know, this will, we, we just, we wanted to create a set of principles so that when we get on this bus together and we get on the ground, mm-hmm. we all had a clear sense of what we were doing and how we were doing it together. Cold. Exactly. And it really came from us being, we, we wanted to make sure we were checking homophobia at the door, mm-hmm. transphobia, sexism. Um, we wanted to be really clear about how we understood black family. Mm-hmm. And so when we started BLM, we knew very we knew very clearly that this wasn't just a, a, a domestic movement. Mm-hmm. We weren't just talking about black Americans. We were talking about black people across the globe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the, the guiding principles really lead with, we are a global black family. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for people who don't know the history, you know, the kind of civil rights movement framework was really a strategic framework. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was to get black folks to not think of ourselves as a, glo- a part of a global family. Mm-hmm. Um, and many other, that's, that's very rare because other cultures see themselves a part of a diaspora. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to reinvigorate that idea of the black diaspora. We wanted it to be really clear that, that um, if you didn't, if you were homophobic, if mm-hmm. you were transphobic, that this probably wasn't going to be for you. So mm-hmm. you shouldn't hop on this bus ride. Um, and if you are ready to deal with your issues, then this is the place for you. So our guiding principles were really about a set of standards um, it, they're really about, you know, they, they helped us um, also vet people. Right. And That's very important. Very, very important. And, you know, but at that point, none of us were visible, you know. And I think folks were like, we asked people if we can come, come to Ferguson first. We, we were very principled. We were very organized. We said, you know, what kind of people do you want? to come. We just didn't bring all types of people. We brought mm-hmm. doctors, mm-hmm. we brought nurses, we brought teachers, we brought mm-hmm. lawyers, um, we brought youth advocates. And mm-hmm. they, it was very clear that folks needed way more infrastructure on the ground. Mm-hmm. And we needed to make sure that would, whoever we were bringing, we're not going to act a mess <laughs> in this place that was a war zone. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, going back to how the Black Lives Matter hashtag touched so many people. Mm-hmm. A big part of the confusion, I think, with Black Lives Matter in the year of Mike Brown was that there were a lot of people who were invigorated and activated to become uh, activists. And I think the Ferguson uprising, to me, is one of the greatest examples of of people power in the world because you had people who were not activists who became that. And and then you had social media adding to it. And so now you have people using the hashtag who don't know you, who don't know the guiding principles. They just feel like Black Lives Matter. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that makes sense to me. So I'm going to use the hashtag. There are people who are famously associated with Black Lives Matter (laughs) who were doing documenting the work. Mm -hmm. D-Ray McKesson, Mm -hmm. Sean King, these people were using Black Lives Matter hashtag. And then when they would be interviewed, people would refer to them as Black Lives Matter activists. Absolutely. And I know that I'm, you know, Sean started his own thing at some point. Mm-hmm. I know D-Ray at some point was ha- put out some tweets like, I'm, I, I respect Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. but I'm doing, you know, my thing. Yeah. Um, why do you think, was that on purpose, that, that there was so much confusion around who Black Lives Matter was as an org mm-hmm. and, and who was just using the hashtag? Purpose by, like, the powers that be, or? Yeah, because it just seems like, to me, from my perspective, absolutely. If you cared enough, you would you would know. Mm-hmm. I got respect for Sean. I got respect absolutely. for D-Ray, but yeah. I knew they weren't Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So when I saw people trying to say I don't like D-Ray because of X, Y, Z, and he's yeah. a Black Lives Matter activist, yeah. I'm like that seems purposeful. Yeah, absolutely. When I saw people criticize Sean and be mm-hmm. like, I don't like Sean King. Sean King is not really black, even yeah. though he has told us a story, and right. you know people try to. Throw all this stuff with him, right. and again, I have respect for him. But then, when they try to tie it to Black Lives Matter to use whatever issues they had with him, I felt like this—it's too easy to know the difference. Absolutely, no. I think that the the sort of like um, what's the word? Uh, not it's not repression, but smearing mm-hmm. of Black Lives Matter came at that. That I wasn't prepared for. Mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared for the this kind of smear campaign mm-hmm. on all types of levels mm-hmm. um, that would come with you know, this this really powerful name that really triggered, you know, mostly white folks, mostly media. Right. Um, and I do think there was a purposeful confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree, it was always, 
I was always like, this is very simple. I'm not sure why right. this is. It was is, simple to me too. Um, so confusing. But, you know, I also think the other thing is that, that if, if you're dealing with a media that's mostly white and doesn't understand black people, mm-hmm. um, they, they, they are, a lot of times the media was genuinely confused. Right. They're like, well, you're black. Doesn't that mean you're a Black Lives Matter activist? Right. <laughs> like, but you used a hashtag. Exactly. Right, Doesn't so. they couldn't they couldn't see the nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was a sign of a number of things. One, you know, just media, white media not understanding black shit. And not trying mm-hmm. to. But then two, media not understanding movement history. Mm-hmm. And not having a sense of like, oh, this is a social movement and there's a long history of this mm-hmm. and not knowing how to differentiate. And I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure, you know, the Panthers also dealt with that. You know, right. everybody was a Panther. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there were splits within the Panthers. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that phrase, Black Lives Matter, it makes perfect sense to me. But again, I'm a black man. So <laughs> obviously I feel like my own life matters. Right. And obviously I feel like, well, you know, until Black Lives Matter, nobody. All lives can't possibly matter exactly. until Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. But Black Lives Matter, such a efficient phrase yes. that it triggered people to create All Lives Matter yes. and Blue Lives mm-hmm. Matter. Did you understand how triggering it would be? No. Okay. I didn't realize it was going to have such a guttural response. Yeah. Like that it was going to kick up like white supremacist ancestors. You know, mm-hmm. like I did not realize it was going to be so intense and that... You know, I remember when Black Lives Matter went viral and then All Lives Matter going viral mm-hmm. after that. And that mm-hmm. sort of like, it was almost like a knee-jerk response mm-hmm. for mostly white people, but also some non-black POC folks. I had to have a lot of talk with my non-black and POC black friends. Folks. And it was yes, another divide. and black folks for yeah. sure. I, I feel like they did that just because like, they saw that we were coming together, that black people were saying Black Lives Matter. And it's like, okay, you guys are getting a little bit too chummy. Let's go mm. ahead and throw a little wrench in it yep. and then start saying all lives matter. And then people think, oh, well, I love all lives. So I mean, and it's like, you don't have to specify that all lives. We all know that everybody's lives matter. Exactly. But the problem is that black people are not mattering in, yeah. in the world. So yeah. that's why we needed to have it. And it used to really drive me crazy when I heard other black people literally trying to argue about that. Yes. And I had to end up unfollowing mm-hmm. a lot of people over that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a trial in Louisiana mm-hmm. where they were trying to say, this is where they're starting to say Black Lives Matter is a terrorist org. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think D-Ray was involved in it. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah, and they were, they're calling mm-hmm. him, and you said, what was it? BLM too, yeah, B- the co-founders. and yeah. Right, and they were saying, that they were trying to blame y'all for violence, yeah, and Baton Rouge, uh, uh, Baton Rouge, and then the Dallas situation. Yep. Um, you know, this this guy in Dallas, uh, when he was talking to the police, he said, "I'm mad about police brutality, and I'm mad about Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Mad about Black Lives Matter is a very strange phrase, <laughs> right? Why are you mad? Why right? does that anger you? Um, and you know, I studied this guy a little bit, and he was trying to make his way into certain liberation movements. Mm-hmm. The more sort of a uh, fringe movements it seemed like he was attracted to but even the more fringe movements from what i could tell uh had pushed him away from what i read but like nah like i see just pictures of him with people that i know yeah then i'm like i know you you know he was hanging out with that guy but then you know (laughs) these people i knew was like nah like he was too wild for us (laughs) you know what i'm saying um that became a turning point like like when i argue with white supremacists online to this day to this day right (laughs) in 2019 (laughs) right for real Mm -hmm. a little (laughs) <laughs> in 2019 they're still saying black lives matter is a terrorist group because of dallas yes um and then the fbi declared that y'all were black identity extremists mm-hmm. what's that i don't know they made it up <laughs> they made it up right? <laughs> it was like it the first time i had her i was like right. i remember when that got leaked because mm-hmm. you remember we weren't supposed to see that mm-hmm. and it was leaked and it was you know, there's a new form mm-hmm. of, of extremism they said and mm-hmm. it was called called black identity extremist mm-hmm. And that's literally a name that the FBI made up mm-hmm. to further criminalize Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and so you, your book is called When They Call You a Terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, our history of people standing up, uh, when you stand up to the status quo in that way, you're called a terrorist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Martin Luther King, yeah. Malcolm X, all of them. Um, is there any, how, how did that impact your life? Being called a black identity extremist <laughs> and being called a terrorist by large segments of the population. 
Well, I was pregnant during this time because, you know, I don't know. I decided to get pregnant in the middle of an uprising. That's, hey, man. <laughs> the best time. Revolutionary love. Exactly. <laughs> and so I was pregnant during that time, um, of really the height of the, of, of the vitriol against us. And when I look back, I, we were all scared. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was very scary. It didn't stop us, but mm-hmm. it, it, it was uh, sobering. It was very sobering. And I think... You know, the personal impact. It's why I wrote a memoir. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to write a memoir. Um, I wasn't that interested. I actually get, got asked to write the book in 2015. Mm-hmm. I said, no, thanks. I'm on the front lines. I don't mm-hmm. need to write books. And then they called us a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I definitely need to I write gotcha. something. Yeah, I need to it's intervene like on this narrative. Toni Morrison told Angela Davis, you exactly. have to write your That's story. That's exactly right. When yeah. I watched that doc, I was like, wow. And, and Angela did the forward to my book. And we're mm-hmm. really, you know, she's a very close friend and mentor of mine. And... We had met way before BLM. I met her when I was in my early... I've been in this movement since I was 16, so I met her wow. in my early 20s. thank mm-hmm. you for that. Oh, thank you, fam. But, you know, I think it was sobering, and it was also, this is not about... It's not personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, the long list of our, our folks who fought for freedom that were then labeled as terrorist mm-hmm. or communist, you know, enemy of the people, basically, enemy mm-hmm. of the state. Mm-hmm. And and so once I started to started to remember and internalize, like this is actually not personal. This is very political. Right. And and to to, you know, really make sure what what I, you know, would say to this next generation, this younger generation of activists, and when I say it a lot, there's two big things is take care of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, because this is a long road. But I also say protect yourself. Because I was just about to ask you, because we talk a lot about mental health, and mm-hmm. when you have all of these people relying on you and you're going up against all, like, what are some things that you do to protect yourself specifically so people know? Well, I mean, something very basic that we didn't do at the beginning is just, like, have security. Mm-hmm. We were out here, like, traveling the country, like, alone, solo. Right. Like, and I remember us having conversations with, like, elders in the movement and then being like, where's your security? Mm-hmm. We'd be like, oh, you know, you go from like being an activist like, in your neighborhood and and then all of a sudden the world knows you and then all of a sudden white supremacists know you. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard sort of psychological shift. Mm-hmm. And so security became really important for us. Um, and then also cybersecurity, mm-hmm. which old heads don't know anything about. They didn't right. have to deal with what we're dealing with. Right. So we had to really work with cyber experts and learn, you know, just how to be safer online. Mm -hmm. And then I think, you know, the last piece is like, I believe, you know, every black person part of our reparations package, we should have a therapist, Mm -hmm. you know, like a competent black therapist. Every one of us should be able to like, I do acupuncture, you know, I'm from LA, so there's all this weird Mm -hmm. shit here. And I believe in it. And I tell everybody like, get Reiki, get acupuncture, get massage, mm-hmm. because this, it literally is a long haul. Angela Davis works out every single morning. Like she does yoga every single day. Mm-hmm. Like that's the time, that's, there's so much happening to us. Mm-hmm. We have to have the time to like take care of ourselves too. Now you produced a play. Yeah, I did. That centers around self-care. Yeah. You tell us about this play. I produced a play called, oh, my respite, reprieve and healing. Okay. Uh, my, my last performance. Um, I just got graduated with my MFA um, and performance from USC. Um, at the other part of my life is being an artist. Thanks. Um, and the, my solo show was a, an entire, an hour and 10 minute piece, mm-hmm. really looking at black people and our, and our health. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, a piece that I did called Hair Wash where 13 black folks got their hair washed in public wearing white robes um, with honey and salt. Um, and there's uh, a part of the piece I did was sitting in a bath, a old 100-year-old bathtub full of salt, 400 p- pounds of salt on me that I climbed out of and then went into a bathtub of coconut milk. Mm. And it was this really... I've seen these pictures. Yes. You look very relaxed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds relaxing. Everybody should bathe in coconut milk. I'm just telling you. Where do you put it? Do you put it, do you just pour it into the bathtub? Yeah, I just pour it in. I got like coconut powder, coconut milk powder, like protein powder, but mm. coconut milk. And then like stirred it in. It was, out, it was outside. It was an outside performance. But it was this, you know, it was like the weight of, of this work. Mm-hmm. what it means to sort of release yourself and then what it means to like have the agency to take care of yourself. Right. Um, 
another criticism. So the two main criticism, criticisms of Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. was why all these women and these queer women taking over our movement yeah. and making life harder. <laughs> um, <laughs> the other criticism is George Soros funds Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Who is George Soros and why do people think that he invented and started and funds Black Lives Matter. Well, George Soros, I've never met you. I really hope you can fund us. <laughs> you have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It would be really helpful. Let me tell you about this myth that clearly now we know that some purposeful troll created. Yeah, the Soros thing is, um, you know, Soros is someone who funds. Yeah, he's a big funder. He's a huge yeah, funder. Yeah, and so he's a, the, the right wing and the alt-rights or whatever they call them online. Yes. They have this anti-George Soros Absolutely. campaign. And Roseanne Barr got in trouble. Like when she, when she said the thing about Valerie Jarrett, right. the, 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 sub, the other plot, the subplot yeah. was the George Soros thing. And she had to apologize because uh -huh. she's at least smart enough to know that I got caught telling a lie. Absolutely. Uh, she said he was a Nazi, which is their thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. George Soros is a huge major funder. Mm -hmm. He's a ph philanthropist of of um, a lot of things. Right. Because you have but, the Koch brothers. Koch is that Coke? you say? Yeah, Koch. Koch brothers, yeah. right? They're huge funders too. Yes. But they they fund they fund very different things than Soros. Precisely. Right. Soros funds criminal justice reform work, mm -hmm. like hands down. That's what. And he was funding it before it was like the cool thing to fund. Right. And he he was raised in Nazi Germany and mm -hmm. had family had to escape, right? Yes. And so that's part of his story why he's always been for progressive causes. That's exactly right. Okay. And he's been behind a lot of funding of the progressive DA races across mm -hmm. the country. Um, he's, you know, he has a, a thing called the Soros Fellowship. Lots mm -hmm. of my friends have done it. But this myth of George Soros sort of creating Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. and then funding us, it, it, it was the, one of the most fascinating because I was in um, Europe mm -hmm. on my book tour two years ago, mm -hmm. and I went to this small town in, in Britain, and I was so excited, I'm sitting with a group of black people, and this woman says to me, you know, after, after we're all done introducing ourselves, she goes, I, li I really need to understand this, how, I want to know why you're funded by George Soros. And I was mm -hmm. like, all the way in the UK. Yeah. And it's the most pervasive thing. Like the thing I hear the most about Black Lives Matter, it's George, more than anything, right. is George Soros. He started it and he's funding us mm -hmm. and we're puppets of his. Yes. Um, I think that was started by the right, clearly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I also didn't, I, did, I wasn't fully sophisticated around the right wing reach before this moment, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know what Breitbart was. Yeah, and Breitbart is very important because Steve Bannon and them set out to start rumors like that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. right. And they created that. that and, and then, you know, when Bill O'Reilly was on air, really amplified that, right. you know. And our, a lot of people in our community, in Absolutely. the conscious yeah. YouTube yes. community, yes. latched onto those right wing rumors Yo, and, and sunk their teeth into it. One of the first places where that rumor got banned inside the black radical left mm. was the black agenda report. Yeah. They said that we were, you know, we were we were sort of liberal democrats. Mm -hmm. We were we were co-opting the left. And it was d really disheartening cuz not one of those folks ever sat with us, mm. called us, talked to us. And those types of rumors, I think that those things are the scariest for me in these moments because the internet, you literally can't tell what's real and what's fake. Right. Post truth. Who, yes. It's not about the truth, it's about winning this argument absolutely right absolutely i have a quick question yeah. and uh i know people might hate me for this but okay so <laughs> kim kardashian is really um in the different court systems getting people released um Good doing a lot like so has she ever reached out to work with blm or uh, have you... i don't think we we would work with her like oh, okay. i think it's good everybody has their lanes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i'm i'm Whenever someone's getting free from prison, I'm like, thank God. So I'm so glad that she's doing that work and that she's using her celebrity in that way. But we, I don't think we need to work with Kim Kardashian. You know, I think everybody is sort of figuring out what their lane is for criminal justice reform in particular. Um, you know, if she called and was like, I'd like to do something, we could put her to work for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, but I think she's like kind of focused on what she's doing. So, for example, like Jane Fonda, really mm -hmm. close friends with Jane. And she's obviously been ride or die for a long time. Mm -hmm. And what I love about Jane is she's always like, you tell me what to do. Right. What, what is the best place for me? She learned that the hard way, too. I just she, watched this documentary about it. Remember her. the five-part yeah. documentary? Yeah, I watched, yeah, she went through some, she, she went through a learning process. She, she put really her career did. on the line. She really did. She was did. looked at as un-American. Yep, yeah. yeah. So I think it's everybody, 
what what I'm excited about it it, it is now popular mm-hmm. to be against the prison system. Mm-hmm. That was not the case when I was a child. And you brought me back to I I was talking earlier and I lost my train of mm-hmm. thought earlier, but now I remember what I was trying to get at when I was talking about Cornell West yes. getting arrested on purpose and why I brought up Action Support Committee because I started talking and then they clapped and gave me prosperity <laughs> and threw me off. Oh and what gosh, I was trying to get to was. We raised the money and uh, more, Missouri Organization for yeah. Reform and Empowerment. Oh, yeah, more, yes. Um, we gave, they got the most of the money. Yes. And it's because what I was told from the people was, we need to bail people out of jail. Yeah. Josh was a name that kept coming. Bail, free Josh, bail yeah. Josh out, was a, was a rallying cry, right? Yeah. But then some of the pushback I got, and you can please walk mm-hmm. me through this, is yeah. that when, you, when, you, when you're spending, when you're raising money, to bail people out, that money's going back into the, into the oh. going to the police, yeah. mm-hmm. and they're using it to buy, you know, batons and yeah. and this stuff. With. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and so is that true? Well, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, the bell, I mean, the bell system is fucked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a terrible bell system, and the fact that you are basically being held on ransom—that's mm-hmm. what's happening. Um, people are going into prisons and jails, and people are going into jails, not prisons. People are going into jails, and they're being forced to pay for their own freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, when you work with the, that money does go directly into the carceral system. Right. Um, and that is the problematic part about bail, right? Right. And in Los Angeles alone, the bail system doesn't make a million, mm-hmm. doesn't make a billion. It, it's a trillion dollar industry mm-hmm. in Los Angeles alone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it's a trillion dollar industry that's feeding something that is crushing black communities every single day. Right. Um, so now with restorative justice and dealing with the prisons, I'm someone who, like most Americans, grew up in a world, and like most people in the world, grew up in a world where prison is just a reality, right? You do something bad, you go to prison. And then when you start dealing with this level of activism work and criminal justice reform, it starts to, your your thinking starts to shift and you start to be like, well, is prison the best thing? Is prison actually rehabilitating people? What are the alternatives to prison? Sorry, because I'm, I'm about to have a cough attack. I know, I got so distracted. I was like, what yeah. is that? It's, this, it's, it's always these, the set air. I got my hoodie on. That's why we, we dress warm. They always ask, like, why are we dressed warm on yeah. the set? Okay. So, I mean, this is what I always tell people. Number one, um, we, we didn't always have prisons. Mm-hmm. We didn't always have police. We didn't always have court systems. And we really kind of live in a society where we... Uh, Americans and and the U.S. has amnesia. Mm -hmm. We think what happened yesterday or what happened today is the truth for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And my argument to people is if we actually look at the jail and prison population, the majority of people that are in those um, and and jail cells are people who are mentally ill, Mm -hmm. who are drug addicted, Mm -hmm. who've dealt with domestic violence, um, we're, we're, there's a lot of children inside jails. You know, we talk a lot about the children at the border, and I'm grateful. We're not talking about the children in juvenile hall. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of conversation about who is in our system is rarely talked about. Mm. Because when you start, especially as an abolitionist, that's, that's what I identify as, the first pe- thing people ask is, what about the rapists and the murderers? Mm-hmm. And I always say, let's just take a pause. I want to I wanna just have a different conversation. What about people with mental illness? Mm-hmm. What about people who are homeless? Mm-hmm. What do we do with those people? And so if we were to, in Los Angeles alone, the women in, in jails, 90% of the women could be diverted out of that jail. Mm. Wow, that's a huge number. So it actually, That's like all of them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it actually means that our jails are de facto shelters. Mm-hmm. They're de facto mental health institutions. Mm-hmm. It's where people that are homeless get most of their care whether right. that's dental, health, and it's subpar. It's right. subpar care, so it's not real care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question becomes, why are we invest, investing in this system? Mm-hmm. Um, we should actually be divesting from it mm-hmm. and be creating true alternatives, holistic alternatives for people. All right, so I'm a huge fan of Jay-Z, and we all know about his recent deal with the NFL, (laughs) and we also know that he's been a huge advocate for Black Lives Matter, and he's really divided uh, a lot of activists, a lot of the community in Mm -hmm. half, like some for him and some against him. So where are your thoughts on it? What do you think his game plan is going to be? Well, I don't know what his game plan is going to be, but I just think he crossed the picket line. Mm -hmm. And in one of the most major ways, you know, I think... 
the first place, I, the first thing I did was like, I went to Ness, which is, you know, Kaepernick's girlfriend's mm-hmm. page. I went to Cap's page just to see, wait, did, are mm-hmm. they in on this? Mm-hmm. Like, and it was very clear that no, that wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't a deal that they, that they brokered together. Mm-hmm. And I think it's unfortunate. You know, it's not like Jay-Z needs the money mm-hmm. or the fame. That's and so it, yeah. I think it's, um, it was an, an, I think it was an unfortunate choice. It's not a choice that I agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's been incredibly supportive to BLM financially. Um, you know, him and Beyonce have been really, really good to, to movement folks. And, but I just, I felt, I feel a lot of bitterness towards that mm-hmm. choice, mostly because mm-hmm. I'm watching K- Cap out here trying to yeah. figure it out. And it just, he, I feel like he crossed the picket line. Um, Jay-Z, in trying to defend himself, mm-hmm. um, and I don't, don't want to put words in his mouth and I'm paraphrasing, wow. but I think he feels like, like you said, we all know that he's been gracious and supportive of, of movement work and, um, and um, you know, even in his art um, with documentaries and things that he's funded, he's, his, his thing was Cap tried to bring, Cap was kneeling to bring attention to an issue. Mm-hmm. Now that we know the issue, well, what is the solution to solve the issue? And he feels like as a capitalist mm-hmm. that his solution is to partner with the NFL mm-hmm. and do social justice work and have the NFL, have someone like Jay-Z who, in his mind, I know the people and I speak for the people and the mm-hmm. people trust, trust me. What do you have to say to his, what he said to defend himself? I just don't agree with him politically. Yeah. Right. I think it's a I literally think it's a different political paradigm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it feels like to be a billionaire and right. to think and Some to, people say that to be a billionaire it's hard to be a decent person. Exactly. Or to be a billionaire, you get used to doing business with people that you don't agree with. Absolutely. Yeah. It's I, I think it's a slap in the face. I haven't spoke on it publicly because I've just been like yeah, I, I've been trying to balanced figure it out. trying to figure it out and like trying to see like, okay, you know, does he have a game plan? But I'm with you also. It's like a slap in the face to a lot of people that have been protesting. And I was literally, um, Jamel came in here and she told, told me that we were allowed to watch NFL and I was about to play fantasy football. And then this <laughs> happened and I saw, you know, how mm-hmm. I felt. I'm like, oh, damn, I still can't watch NFL. Like, it's still, it's still not mm-hmm. changing. For him to say, like, we're past kneeling, it's like, we're not past it because it's still happening. Like, Absolutely. you don't have happening. to get a check in order to change something. And he doesn't need the money. There's other ways that he can, you know, make change without selling out for lack of better words. It's just such a controversial situation. Like the NFL and what it's done, not just a cap, but just the industry that mm-hmm. we've now seen be, be revealed. Mm-hmm. So to make that choice. That was not a that was not an easy cho- like he had to really think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know he had to have several meetings. Mm-hmm. Like that was a choice that was very intentional. I'm glad you brought up Jamel. I really liked Jamel's piece in the Atlantic yes. about Jay Z and mm-hmm. NFL because I, I think amazing. I think she nailed it mm-hmm. because I think she acknowledged what Jay Z is yep. and what Jay Z could be potentially in the situation. But she also said that she felt like I think the crux of her piece was. The NFL is getting more absolutely mm-hmm. than Jay Z is getting. Yeah, because Jay Z has so many followers, and obviously the protest was working because they needed to fix something. And instead of fixing the problem, like oh, let's just get the king of the blacks, and it's well, like, we don't yeah, have he, a got, king he got of the well, he got tokenized, <laughs> and, and that's the thing. It's like I think this is because it becomes tricky when you're black or 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 woman or queer at the margins, and then you work with a major corporation or company, mm-hmm. who who is going to gain more? Absolutely, the NFL gained more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you started your foray into activism, as far as I know, with the Bus Riders Union. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about the Bus Riders Union? Mm-hmm. And while telling us about it, can you sort of give people advice on how to get involved in activism? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I try to divert attention to me to activists. That's why right. I love you so much. Because mm-hmm. people come at me and be like, you're, you know, conscious rap. I'm like, oh, you like me? Wait till you hear about <laughs> Patrice Colon. I love being able to do that. So can you sort of give people a way that they can sort of start this work? Absolutely. I mean, I'm lucky that I started this work with before like Twitter and Facebook because mm-hmm. I think some people think that that is the work. Mm-hmm. And sure, social media is like a real oh, online please. world. Mm-hmm. But people need to join things. Mm-hmm. Join an organization. What are you most interested in, excited about, pissed off about? Mm-hmm. Find an organization that's doing that and join it. If there's nothing out there, mm-hmm. make one. But I think part of being an activist is actually joining something. And you know, when before 45 was elected, 
mm-hmm. you know, Black Lives Matter was basically being like, we're in a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. If we don't deal with the political crisis, we are going to end up dot, 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 mm-hmm. and then 45 was elected. Mm-hmm. Right. And then a bunch of people were like, oh, shit. Right. The world is blowing up, and black people right. are like, no, it's actually been like mm-hmm. this. Right, I see the connection as well. But yes. that's why I'm happy that 45 was elected, because it's getting more people on our side, and it's opening more people's eyes, and it's like, it's not just our fight, it's all of your fight. If you don't have money, then you're on the same side that we are. Well, I get your point, but I, happiness is not a feeling that I... <laughs> but I get I'm your point. I'm not happy. I get your you point. know what I mean? I'm, I'm not happy about 45 it. was asked about reparations. Yeah. And he said, I don't see it happening. Do you see reparations happening for black people in America? Not just black people in America, but CARICOM and all these other organizations all over the diaspora. Do you see reparations happening for black people in your lifetime? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And how do we get there? We organize. And I think the fact that we're hearing reparations on on the national stage right now has everything to do with the years and years of work that's happened Mm -hmm. to get us there. I think you know, there's, we've already won reparations in pla- some places like Chicago, mm-hmm. won reparations. We're talking about Oakland with the... Exactly. Mm-hmm. So reparations is happening at a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. I don't know, honestly, I don't know personally if it needs to happen at the national scale. I mm-hmm. think it needs to happen local by local, state by state, city by city. I think we're going to get the most out of reparations if we do it in our own communities. Mm-hmm. And people always think Small that... Small government reparations. Yes. Mm-hmm. And people always think that national... It's like the, if we win something nationally, that's the best thing. That's not always true. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can win something nationally and it never trickles down to the local. Mm-hmm. Like what happened in Ferguson. With the, with the national organizations coming into Ferguson yes. and the local people not getting the money. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I think local reparations is a goal that I think many organizers should sort of orient themselves around. Mm-hmm. I like that. Me too. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Patrice Colors. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. That was fun.